Welcome everyone to the Asian Voices Radio Podcast, where you will find real Asian American conversations, including topics and subjects you were too embarrassed or afraid to ask your Asian parents about. Hello everyone, I'm your host, Sasha Fu, and our special guest today is Lan Tai, a San Diego-based chef, restaurant owner, and health advocate who truly subscribes to the belief that you are what you eat. Lan's story is one of taking chances and taking risks. She came to the United States with her family when she was only six months old. Her Vietnamese Chinese parents brought up Lan and her siblings on a farm in San Diego County. Now, after a brief stint working in software at Adobe, Lan left that corporate world behind to pursue her passions as a chef. Today, Lan owns several restaurants and just recently purchased a nearly 19-acre farm outside San Diego, which is central to her philosophy that food is medicine. Welcome, Chef Lanthai. Thank you so much for having me. I'm great. How are you? Really good. And I'm really excited to be able to interview you. You are a chef. And as most people know, chefs have a great broad knowledge of food. But in your case, your background, specifically as a kid growing up on a farm, has given you a really unique perspective and understanding about what it means to get food, real food, out of the ground. Can you tell us about your childhood and how your parents from Vietnam gave you an education that so few of us Westerners have access to today? Yeah, one of the things that as a chef, I didn't go to culinary school. I didn't go to CIA school. Um, I didn't need to because I learned how to cook and ferment and grow food and preserve everything from, you know, from the soil up. Um, I even harvested my own chickens and raised my own um, eggs. And, and I think that that's a perspective in the culinary world that needs to be shared more, that I learned cooking from the means of survival. I don't remember learning how to use a knife. It's instilled in me. Um, I really, like my first memory is always cooking. I don't have a memory without that I wasn't cooking or preparing or doing something involved with food. I'm curious about how your parents' attitude towards food and growing their own food, how that's informed what you do today as a chef. You talked briefly in an earlier conversation that we had about how you kind of want to bring your parents' legacy forward as um, a bridge between Eastern and Western cultures. Yeah. So being, um, when I came over here to San Diego, specifically when I was six months old as a Vietnamese refugee, um, one of the things I realized was that I was living at home with Southeast Asian roots, cultural roots, speaking Vietnamese to my parents and to my family. And then when I would go to school, I would speak um, English. And actually, that's a pretty funny story. Because when I was five years old, I really thought every kid spoke a different language at home. <laughs> like they would speak English at school, and then they would go home and I would ask the kids, I'll go, so what language do you speak to your parents? <laughs> uh, right. And because that's the way I was taught. And I thought everybody had a different language that they spoke to their parents at home. And I found out, oh, wait, no one does that. <laughs> Um, so one of the things that is really interesting about my life is growing up is that because I had the Southeast Asian uh, cultural roots being raised at home, I was always questioning the type of education um, being raised in Western education here in San Diego. So it was always like, 
it wasn't right or wrong. It was like both could be right. Both could be correct. And I think it's really great because what I realized is that my parents, you know, they live very primitive. They live in villages. They live in huts that they built, you know, out of palm leaves and pandanas and bamboo. And that being, um, I realized that they didn't ever open a book to learn how to garden, learn how to fish, learn how to raise, Mm -hmm. you know, chickens or anything like that. Um, So I realized that I am actually the direct connection to ancient knowledge that has been passed down. My parents only learned their entire lives just by passed down ancient wisdom. Right. This is knowledge that's passed down from one generation to another, usually through oral traditions by telling the next generation, well, this is how we do it and demonstrating that. Yeah. That brings me to this area which you have kind of carved out for yourself. You call it mm-hmm. FAM, food as medicine. And mm-hmm. some of us have heard about this before, others have not. But in the very, very simplest term sh- terms, Chef Lan, can you explain what are the pillars or principles of food as medicine and what foods do you think we should be eating to keep our bodies healthy? Well, one of the things was I didn't really um, hang on to the food as medicine concept until I realized that the acronym was FAM, F-A-M, short for family, Um, because food does play an imperative role in our entire lifestyle and health, um, but it's not the everything. And I think that FAM, family is everything. It's the connection. It's the community, whether it's blood related or not, um, that plays such an imperative role in our health. And then we looked at studies, like, for example, why certain villages like in um, Italy and in Japan, why they have so many centurions is because they built a community. Um, And I just think that that is such an imperative part. If I'm going to talk about food as medicine, I don't want it to mean that that's the only part of it. It's a big part of it. And for food as medicine, um, growing up, I realized that all the foods that my mom um, fed us was part of um, the entire holistic approach to health. Um, it was using all of our senses, using all the colors of the rainbow, using all the flavors of the food, you know, all the fi- all your senses being used and creating a dish, and then making sure that the practices of how the food is grown um, has done with integrity, is done with care. My dad is one of the most um, patient, you know, very careful, meticulous man. And to see him always just constantly taking care of his plants and fruits, um, that's just like if you nurture nature, n- nature will nurture you. Um, and with the foods that growing up, I think one of the things that I think that the Western diet truly is missing is that you just look at your five senses and your five flavors and your color profile. Are you eating all the colors? Are you eating mm. all the flavors? And I think right now, Western diet consists mainly of salty and sweet. You know, there's no mm. sour, there's no bitter, there's no um, just more pungent. And those types of foods involve a lot of herbs, a lot of spices. Um, those are the central part of what I consider food as medicine, but it's an overall, like eating, eating a very biodiverse, like introducing a lot of different vegetables, a lot of different fruits, a lot of different types of grains, the more diverse, uh, type of diet you have actually the healthier it is. 
So if you want to talk about diversity, biodiversity, as you said, a whole range of fruits and vegetables and grains, my observation and the observation of many people is that it is harder to access those kinds of foods in perhaps lower income communities where there aren't as many grocery stores or supermarkets or farmers markets. And some people are saying, well, we see that in health outcomes because people who don't have access to those types of foods have higher rates of diabetes and heart disease and other illnesses that result from unhealthy diets. How, in your opinion, Lan, how would we start to overcome this inequity between people who can yeah. who have the money or the resources to eat better and people who lack those resources and that access? Um, well, obviously, I don't think I have the, the answer, but I, I mean, I can like provide a possibility and that would be because um, I grew up really poor and it's education. Education sets you free. It does. Um, you know, so it's not just about like giving people free food all the time. It's educating them. Like, why are you eating this bread? Why do you need to introduce more fermented products? Why do you need to eat like this, 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 this? And I think the more they educate, then they realize that they won't seek out the fast foods and, you know, the the 7-Eleven, you know, just crappy hot dogs and nachos and things like that, just because it's cheap. You know, um, if we look at the um, at how much Americans spend on food based on their income percentage wise, we're one of the, mm -hmm. the, the lowest spending. Like if they, if an Americans gain a dollar, they spend like five cents, you know, to food. Really? If you look at other countries, it's like 50% or more. Um, they value food more because they don't have other luxuries, you know, like cell phones and cables and, you know, Netflix and, and everything like that. So um, it's a different type of culture. But I think education is where it all begins. Um, that's really uh, something that my mom valued a lot, that the reason why uh, she took the risk, her and my dad, to leave Vietnam was because they knew that there was a better life outside of Vietnam, that there was better education. And, you know, growing up really poor, we took that opportunity and studied really hard and just to, you know, make money and be able to be healthy. So it comes down to education. Okay. You mentioned your mom and I know you said mm -hmm. you were really close to her. She was, uh, she died of lung cancer in 2013 when she was diagnosed with the cancer you dropped everything, including your flourishing catering career in Hawaii. You dropped everything, though, to come back to San Diego to take care of her. What did you learn about yourself in this period? And is that when you began looking as food, as food, as medicine? Yeah, growing up on a farm, I always knew that eating healthy was preventive medicine. Um, but growing up in a Western culture, um, who really, unfortunately, disregards the role that nutrition plays in health um, for treatment is mm. um, something that needs to be, um, you know, something that that people need to know know about. And that that's when my mom was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. I did just again back to education. I went and researched so much on Google and just like research. What do people do? What do other countries do? Um, she's going to chemotherapy. What is she going to do? So we had a plan. Like my family set a plan 
uh, when my mom, you know, was going through chemotherapy that we found that a lot of people actually uh, pass um, because of the chemo, not because of the cancer, because it's such a extreme, extreme type of treatment. And so our strategy going in was let's build mom's immunity as much as possible. So how do we do that? So I looked at the foods. I looked at like, what is she going to eat? Like what vitamins is she going to need more? And what are um, things that she may be lacking that we can help um, supply? So that was obviously B12, vitamins, mushrooms, turmeric, ginger, a lot of anti-inflammatory, anything to help her build her immunity. Um, you know, especially during winter months when it's cold and viruses and illnesses are coming around. So with that, when I, I, it just blew my mind just thinking about, um, it was just kind of weird how I just never thought that nutrition could help when you're sick. Like, I, I just thought that once you had cancer or some kind of illness, I always thought that like, oh, it's just genetic. But then when you start actually reading a lot that we're less genes and more bacteria and that we're always constantly changing. Um, so I think that that's one of the things that really opened my eyes was how much. And it's not in any way trying to attack allopathic medicine in any way, because my mom, you know, we didn't we believed in the chemotherapy. But then there are also ways to help her build her uh, her immunity. So I believe that the two could exist. Just like in China, you know, they do have Western medicine, you know, advanced types of medicine in China, but they also use TCM, traditional Chinese medicine with like herbs and stuff. Like there's a whole floor in the hospital. Like I've seen these amazing videos on it. Um, it's where I believe that the nutrition plays an imperative role in the health. Um, so that's when I started diving into it. Um, and then I realized that a lot of the things, foods, herbs that were recommended were things that my mom already fed us growing up. And um, and then knowing where the source of the food comes from, that was really, really important because, you know, you just you just dive into this vortex where you're like, whoa, look at all this conventional agriculture. Is that what's happening? I mean, you're just seeing all the things that, that you just can't believe. You know, when I told my mom that the cows here were fed you know, corn and not grass. She's just like, what do you mean? <laughs> you know, like growing up in Vietnam, they're naturally just eat grass. They don't eat corn. They don't eat grain. Um, so those are the kind of things that, you know, like I just went and just was so fascinated into the food industry, the FDA, the pharmaceutical industry, just really, really dived into it. And it's just like, I just can't believe that nutrition was completely disregarded by Western medicine. Chef Lan, as you were doing all this research into food and how it was interacting uh, with your mother's cancer and her chemotherapy, did you see any connections between certain foods that she was eating and uh, the way what was happening to her health or the status of her health? Oh, yeah, definitely. Be, um, there was one time she was actually taken to the ER and we actually asked her, uh, the, the doctors to check her vitamin levels, and she was low on vitamin D. You know, so those are like things that we found out immediately. And we're like, oh, wow, she was low in vitamin D. So because she wasn't outside going in the sun because she was so, you know, resting. And so we were like, okay, you know, we'll, we'll take her on strolls to get her a little bit more sun, mornings, morning sun. And that we'll also have her eat more. Um, meats and eggs and um, mushrooms, especially um, it opened my eyes and mushrooms because what I what I realized what I like to research is not just what Americans do, but I like to research what other countries are doing too. And 
in China and in Japan, um, when a person is going through chemotherapy, they actually prescribe them turkey tail mushroom. And uh-huh. I started looking into it and I went, oh, that's so fascinating. So we actually gave my mom a lot of turkey tail, like just dehydrated turkey tail um, in capsule, you know, uh, form. So nothing added to it or anything like that. And we really believe that that is probably one of the things that really helped um, build her immunity and last as long as she did. Um, but my mom already ate pretty healthy. Um, and that's when I started reading about the gut and the brain connection. And with that, I went, you know, I started kind of like questioning, like, why is this woman, you know, my mom is this jokester. She's super, super happy, almost a bit crass. I call her like an Asian Roseanne Barr. I'm not kidding. (laughs) Um, At times. And she's just really funny. She's a great cook. And, um, you know, um, making fun of each other is like the way we share love. And, and um, so I just couldn't believe like, how is this woman who's always constantly laughing and everything like that? Like, how is how did she get cancer? I just couldn't understand because she ate really healthy, like grew from the, the food that she, you know, ate from the food that she grew. And it comes down to when I was starting reading about more of the brain and the gut connection, that's when I started like thinking about like my mom mentally, you know, and it was really weird, but it was right when Maya Angelou, actually her death anniversary is coming up, um, she had passed this a year and there were a lot of quotes going around like on Facebook and Instagram or at the time. And one of the quotes that Maya Angelou had on the day of her death was, um, it said, you should be angry, you must not be bitter, um, as bitterness is like a cancer. And that just completely opened my world because I went bitter. Like I never knew what that really meant. And then I went, you know, every time I go back to Vietnam, my mom's always complains about the same thing, you know, that's been eating up inside her, you know, year after year after year. And then, you know, she was adopted. So I just started realizing, like, maybe that's the core you know, her mental game wasn't there. And then when you read so much more about the brain and gut connection, it just completely makes sense. I mean, I, we we have our own bodies to experiment from and our own experiences. Like I've been where I've heard really, really bad news and I would throw up. I'd literally throw up from hearing bad news. Now, if that is not a direct link to the brain and gut connection, like I don't know what is. You know, we even say that we have a gut feeling. <laughs> You know, mm-hmm. that's right. That's so, um, yeah. So, you know, I really just completely opened my eyes to a way of holistic health where it wasn't just nutrition, what you're feeding your gut, but it's also your mental game and how much power the, the power of mental strength, you know, plays as well. So this knowledge that you acquired while you were caring for your mom became the foundation for the next big step in your life, Lan, which is you made this tremendous leap from being a private chef and caterer to actually opening your own restaurant, your first restaurant. That's huge. Um, (laughs) You've said that it was your mother's death that helped you Mm -hmm. find that path. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and how the end of your mother's life brought you to this place of wanting to create something new? Yeah, I've always felt like after my mom's uh, 
my mom's passing, I was super lucky to be there. And the moments that happened before her death, um, which um, I have read that many people have experienced, that the world truly does prepare you if you listen. So there were some insane events that happened, you know, two days before my mom's death, where I was just in shock like external events. Um, I was actually at a beer pairing. Uh, I was doing a pop-up beer pairing at Green Flash Brewery. And the night before, um, you know, there were thousands of people at this event. We're just so busy serving food. And this isn't in just this industrial park. Like nothing ever happens in this neighborhood for the 10 years that it's been there. And all of a sudden we hear gunshots, like a drive-by shooting. And we're like, and I talked to the director there and he's like, well, this is the first time I've ever had to call the cops. And they looked out and there was bullets on the road. And I went, that is so weird. Like there's gunshots, you know? So my body was in shock, just in shock. Like it's just eerie, like very eerie. And then the day before that, I saw an Asian woman that kind of looked like my mom pass out in front of a supermarket. And I went and it just like, yeah, things that just don't happen all of a sudden were just happening moments before my mom passed and it was to me feeling like the universe was setting up and preparing me for something insanely bad to happen to prepare me because the universe it's, the, it's an energy is what how I sense it and so the day morning of my mom like you know I truly uh, live in the moment I really do and I don't think most people do I think that's the real definition of what gratitude means um, means that if you are truly grateful in life, you would never take one moment for granted. That's the definition of gratitude. And that morning, I remember my dad notifying my whole family saying that my mom was really sick. And my dad went and left and said, he's going to go trim some Moringa. No joke. Like he went to my aunt's house to go get Moringa because Moringa is known to help um, fight cancer. It's actually been on like the National Institute of Health, like, um, they would win awards for how much Moringa has helped with cancer. Um, but my dad knew. So that's what's funny. Like he had no connection to science. And here science is like studying Moringa. But some, but my dad knew because of ancient wisdom that Moringa helped with people with cancer. And anyway, so he left that morning to go get Moringa because he didn't really want to face it. And then my uh, older sisters were all like, okay, we'll come over. And then I was like, I'm coming over right now. Like, I'm not going to, like, take any chances. It can happen at any moment at any time, and I'm never going to take a moment for granted. So because I went there, you know, early enough, um, I was able to be there for her, for her last moments. And I have to say, I, it's such a bittersweet, and I share this story very vulnerably because I want people to really grasp life. I want people to know that life is fleeting and really understand how beautiful life is because that is when you truly experience magical moments. And um, for me not to hesitate at all and to go see my mom, I was able to be there for her. And I can't ever imagine another way of dying. Like I would feel like the luckiest person in the world if I was surrounded by loved ones, you know, my last moments. And for me to be there for my mom, for her lasting moments is the greatest gift that I was given. It really is. I just can't imagine not being there for her. And I want, and I, I share this because I just want people to realize that we are mortal, <laughs> 
that, you know, like um, there's so much more to life. It's so deep. And that, you know, like if gratitude is truly about appreciating every single moment, you know, and because my family, some of my family members and my dad hesitated because they thought that if they just waited, you know, the rationale came to them that like if they waited that my mom wouldn't pass, like if they just stalled, that they just didn't want to face reality. And because of that, after my mom's passing, um, so many magical moments came because um, I was able to have that just amazing one-on-one -on -one talk with my mom before she passed. And I knew she was hanging on because I'm the baby daughter. And I knew that she was hanging on to her life, like enduring pain, because she, um, she wanted to continually protect me. And I said to her that, you know, my last dying moments, you know, her, her last dying moments with me was basically I told her that I'm going to be okay. I don't want to see her in pain anymore. And that it's time for her to let go. And because of that, she did. And because of that, I realized how much control you have in your life, you know, that there is something, something bigger than this. I truly believe that. And because I felt her protective energy, <laughs> just so many, like, it's just magical moments after her passing, you know, like, just because physically she isn't here, I can feel her always constantly protecting me. But in some ways, I'm always telling her that she needs to, <laughs> she still needs to let go. <laughs> how, did be okay. how did she kind of help guide you towards your decision to start your own restaurant? Um, I've always wanted my own restaurant. I think I've all, I've played restaurant when I was four years old. Like my sisters <sighs> and I would, you know, pretend being, you know, restaurant owners and taking orders. And, and I think that, you know, it was always like the business and finance sense that always said, don't open a restaurant. It's like the worst industry to get into. And then, you know what? I just waited till the right time. And I, and when I saw the opening for just a small cafe at 600 square foot, I said, this is manageable. This is the time to actually test out my dreams and see if something um, can make of it. And then now that I have a mission and now that I have my mom protecting me, then I knew that, you know, this is the path that I'm going to go. <laughs> that was a bold move. And it's worked out well for you. Enclave has been open for what two years now, two or three years. I know so it was interrupted by think. something called COVID. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we opened in August thirty first of two thousand and nineteen, and then we shut down in March of twenty twenty. So we were only open for five months, and then shut down for fourteen months. Um, you know. But what I realized that something, you know, call it destiny or not, but like something with me, like somehow I strive out of just crazy struggle. You know, I came here as a refugee. Like that was a, a big major turning point for my parents and me. And then now with the pandemic, like, you know, we're just survivors. <laughs> like it's in my blood, just surviving through the pandemic. And not only were we surviving, we were thriving, you know, because we scored a um, government contract called the Great Plates Program, where um, uh, California and San Diego County would pay uh, restaurants to feed seniors every day, three day, uh, three meals a day. And we did that for 14 months. 
And because wow. of that contract, um, we were able to employ so many employees during that time. We were able to feed seniors who were the most vulnerable. Um, mm. It was probably one of the most rewarding experiences because it was just like a win, 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 win situation all around. Mm-hmm. No, those meals were vital. It really meant for many seniors, um, the difference between thriving and not thriving at all. Yeah. We started this podcast by saying that you're a risk taker. So, which brings me to my next subject. You recently, in the last six months, purchased a 19 acre farm in San Diego <laughs> County. Can you tell us, Lan, what led to that decision and what are your plans for this farm? Um. You know, I grew up on a farm, so we we grew up on an acre and a half in Lakeside in San Diego, and um, I've always wanted my own homestead, and I thought that um, San Diego deserved a real vertically integrated farm-to-table cafes because we have one of the best climates here in the nation. I only thought of climate. I didn't think of money. I didn't think of like real estate and how expensive it is here. Um, But there are pockets and there are gems. You just have to be patient. All I was doing was like, I'm going to be on a list and I'm just going to wait for an old ranch home and lots of land, you know, an agricultural zoning. And I'm just going to wait and be patient. And then when the opportunity comes and if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. But this truly was one of the most spectacular, special, I I don't even know what kind of word, but another magical moment (laughs) um, acquiring this 19-acre farm. And uh, we have to close soon. We're running short on time. At Chefland, your future plans involving the farm, education. You talked about the emphasizing how food can help us become healthier. So I imagine Mm -hmm. that cultivating your own crops, bringing that into your restaurant, it's all part of a bigger scheme to help people understand the importance of food. Yeah, and understand the source of food and understand that the food, that most food that they're eating right now is coming from conventional agriculture that is laden with lots of chemicals and um, they're destroying our planet. You know, Um, that's something that we need to educate because it's not just about our health, but it's about the health of our planet. And that's something that, uh, you know, we just need to educate people more and understand that conventional agriculture is not going to sustain us. Well, thank you, Chef Lan. <laughs> We're going to have to wrap it up. Thank you for such an interesting conversation. We'd love to have you back. Thank you for yes. giving us a lot of nourishing food for thought. <laughs> um, we want to wish you the best of luck as you continue to feed bodies and minds through your work. Thank you so much for and, having me. Yeah, it's been an extremely interesting conversation. If our audience wants to get in touch with you or learn more about the work you're doing, what websites or social media platforms should they check out? Yes, you can find our website at www.enclave, that's E-N-C-L-A-V-E, fam, F-A-M.com. And same Instagram handle is Enclave Fam. If you want to see all the pretty pictures, it's all on Instagram. We love pretty pictures. Thanks so much. If you have any suggestions for future guests or topics for Asian Voices, we'd love to hear from you. Also, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, as well as follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Asian Voices Radio is produced by Asian Culture and Media Alliance, a nonprofit that empowers our API community with a voice through media arts, 
If you'd like to support our program and make a donation, please visit AsianVoicesRadio.com. I'm Sasha Fu, and please join us next week for another exciting and thought-provoking Asian Voices radio show. Until then, take care, everyone. Thank you.